Father, we just thank you for, for your goodness to us, for your holy word, and, and uh, especially for the book of James, Lord. And, and, and it's a tough book. There's a lot of rebukes here, a lot of exhortation here, Lord. And today, James is going to teach us about just how dangerous the times are in which we live. They were dangerous in his time, and they've, they've always been dangerous, Lord. We've all just a, a tick away from death. And, and so in this exhortation, Lord, just remind us of, of the fact that life is short, Lord, and, but you have a plan for our lives, and, and there's things that you want us to do in our lives, and, and Lord, you certainly want us to be doing good throughout our lives. And so, Lord, just, just uh, show us what you would have us to to learn here today in this this text in James, and I just ask you teach it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name, amen. You never know when you're going to find yourself in a very dangerous situation. You never know. David sent me an example of a very dangerous situation this week, and so I asked him to put a slide up and just show you. That's the way Roy looks when I ask him to pray. You know, when I was a Southern Baptist, the preachers always would call on somebody to do the closing prayer. And uh, it was always, everybody was turning their head and looking away and looking down. Nobody wanted to be called on. So you never know when you're going to be thrown into a very dangerous situation. You know, over the years, the interpreters of the book of James have, have, I think, often misunderstood its meaning. I mean, a lot of people see James as just an old sourpuss. And I mean, he really was pretty, pretty, pretty uh, harsh, let me put it that way, uh, pretty blunt. In, in all the things that he said. But, but some people would say he's against joy, he's against sensual pleasure, he's against long life. Uh, he's, he, it's almost as if he was saying, you know, take a vow of poverty and, and uh, deny yourself of any of the pleasures of life, uh, isolate yourself from the world. And it's almost as if he says, you know, become a hermit, hermit or maybe go out in the woods and, and live in a monastery. I mean, just get away from life because because uh, uh, you better be doing good and you better be ready because you never know when the Lord is going to return. And so you just get away from all of these evils of the world. But that's not what James is saying at all. I, I don't, I, not at all. I mean, I think what James was saying was this, that we're to live life till it, till it, to its fullest, but we're to live it for the Lord. We're to find joy in all our circumstances. That's what James says. It counted all joy uh, when you uh, fall into various trials. Even when you fall into trials, we're to count it joy. So, so James wasn't a joy killer. But what he was saying was this, that we're to be mindful of the fact that life is sort of like a ticking time bomb. You never know when things are going to explode all around you. So you're to be sober. You're to be real, you're to be truthful, you're to be very serious about life, redeeming your time because we're living in very dangerous times. And I tell you what, you don't have to do, go far, read the newspaper today, 
watch the news and you can see that we live in very dangerous times. Remember when Jesus spoke about the end times in, the, in Matthew chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse, you remember what he said? He said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. The days will be the same way. So now, there are a lot of so-called prophecy experts that will tell you what Jesus meant by that when he spoke those words in the Olivet Discourse was that, that, hey, uh, uh, yeah, uh, when you see things happening in the world, like they were happening in the days of Noah, then you know that the time is near and the Son of Man is near. Well, what, were they, what, what kind of things were happening in the days of Noah? The only thing we're told about the days of Noah was, that, was this, that violence filled the land. Well, violence has always filled the land. And so you could all, in any time you could say that, hey, you better be ready because it looks like things are like they were in the days of Noah, so man, the Lord could return at any minute. But that wasn't the lesson that the Lord was teaching. I don't believe that was the lesson that he was teaching there at all. What he was saying was this, was that uh, you never know when I'm going to return. It's going to be the same way it was in the days of Noah. How was it in the days of Noah? What were people doing in the days of Noah? They were going about their business as if nothing was going to happen. They were going about their business with their heads in the sand and and they didn't know it, but they were all about to perish. They were all about to die in this flood. And so, so what he's saying is, what Jesus is saying is that, hey, we all live in very dangerous times. All of us live in a, in a place where we could lose our life at any moment. There are all sorts of things that can get us in this world. You know, we're living in very dangerous times here, right here in Lafayette today. I mean, and, and there's a lot of people who live life with their heads in the sand. They don't realize how dangerous this world really is. I heard the other day, I heard Putin bragging that in one half hour, he could destroy the United States of America in one half hour. You know what? He could, can do that in one half hour. We could destroy Russia too. But the fact that he would even think that, should scare us all a little bit at least. I mean, you look around this world and you see all of these terrible things that are happening and, 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 and we live in very scary times. I mean, look at these Muslim nations. You know who they want to destroy? You know who the number one target or the bullseye of their target is? It's the United States of America. They want to bring us down. They want to destroy us and conquer us. And hey... They're, you know, they're, they're, they're mounting up these armies and, and it looks pretty, pretty scary out there. there. There's all sorts of scary things. I mean, I believe the United States of America is facing a possible economic collapse because of this trillions and trillions of dollars of debt that we have. Uh, and we certainly have the possibility of terrorists striking us at any moment. We saw that right here in Lafayette. I mean, you can't even go to a movie without worrying about somebody pulling out a gun and shooting you in the back of the, your head. 
You don't know that tomorrow or the next time you go to the doctor, the doctor might tell you that you've got a terminal illness, that you're about to die. So we all live in dangerous times. I mean, James lived in dangerous times. He was sitting on a ticking time bomb that he didn't really, I don't think he even knew it. I mean, just a few years, a decade or so after James penned these words, uh, the Jews mounted a rebellion and Rome, sent their legions down to squash the rebellion, and they destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and killed at least a million Jews, and the rest of them they sent captive. That happened just a decade or so after James penned these words. But you know, James didn't get to see that happen. You know why James didn't get to see that happen? Because he was arrest, arrested by the Sanhedrin and he was tried and, and he was told either to recant his Christianity or die and he refused to recant and so they stoned him to death. So James was living in dangerous times and I don't think James realized that he was going to die the next few years after he wrote these words, but he knew he was sit, living in dangerous times. He knew that all of the Jews and all of the Christians were sitting on this ticking time bomb. And that's why in verse number 9, listen to what he says. He says, take life seriously. In verse number 9 of chapter uh, 4, he says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord because things aren't as good as you think they are. They're not as bad as you think they are either. They're worse. They're worse than you think they are. You know what? I don't know where we're going to be 10 years from now. I don't know where you're going to be 10 years from now. You might be two or three years away from your death. We might be 10 years away from, from uh, seeing the United States destroyed. We, we don't know where we're going to be 10 years from now. So we need to take life very, very seriously because we're all sitting on this ticking time bomb that could go off at any moment. So that's the message of James. I mean, it's, you're living in dangerous times, so you need to get right with the Lord and you need to quit worrying about everybody else. You need to worry about, quit, you need to quit judging everybody else and you need to worry about yourself and get your own house in order. That's the message of James. Listen to what he says in verse number 11. One of the things he wants us to quit, do, quit doing right away is to, to quit judging others. Quit judging others. Look at what he says in verse number 11. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law. Now let me explain to you here in a second what he means by that and judges the law. You become the judge of the law. It's as if you're the lawgiver. It's as if uh, you're the one who determines what's good or bad. And whenever we become the judge of the law, we, we interpret the law in our favor, don't we? That's exactly what we do. In other words, we make the law fit our way of life. We determine what's good and we determine what's bad. And that's why some Christians will tell you, oh, man, look at those people. They're evil. They dance. And then that other group will say, oh, look at those people. They drink wine. They're evil. In other words, I don't drink wine, so I'm not evil. I don't dance, so I'm not evil. Some of them, there's some denominations believe you eat. If you drink wine or dance, you're going to hell. 
But what are we doing then? We're becoming, we're becoming the judge, and we're not the judge. And listen to what he says, but if you judge the law, you are not, you're no longer a doer of the law or a breaker of the law, but a judge. And whose place have you put yourself in when you do that? You put yourself in the place of God. God is the judge. There is one lawgiver, and that is God. Now, let me tell you what James is not saying here. James is not saying that we don't judge the conduct and character of others. You have to do that. You're forced to do that in certain situations. As a pastor, you have to do that. I have to judge somebody's character, and I have to judge somebody's conduct before we allow them to do children's ministry, before we allow them to be on the worship team. Before You have to judge people's conduct and character. The people that you hang out with, you want to judge their conduct and you want to judge their character. I mean, that's, I, mean, for, I mean, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 16, he says, beware of those who cause dissensions and those who teach contrary to sound doctrine. So you're to judge teachers. You're to judge people who, who cause dissensions and, and who cause divisions. And in the little book of Titus, he says, beware or reject the divisive man. How do you know they're a divisive man? Well, you judge whether or not they're a divisive man. And so there is this sense that we're, we're to judge others. But here's where judging goes wrong. We're wrong to judge others when we do it out of envy, when we do it out of jealousy, when we do it out of bitterness, when we do it because of our pride. We judge, you know, that's where, isn't that the root of most judgmental attitudes? It's pride. I mean, we look at others and we say, oh, they're not as good as me. They're not as good as me. And what are we doing when we're doing that? We're lifting ourselves up. And, and, and we're judging them based upon our own standards, not based upon the law, but based upon our standard, the way we're living our life. They need to, they need to live up to us. They need to live up to our standard. You see the arrogance of that? And, 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 boy, I'll tell you where it really gets bad. And I think we're all guilty of this at times. When we judge whether or not someone's going to go to heaven or whether they're going to go to hell, whether they're saved or whether they're unsaved, when we do that, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And how arrogant is that? I mean, look at verse number 12, what he says. He says, there is one lawgiver. Who is that lawgiver? Jesus Christ is the lawgiver. He's the only lawgiver. All judgment, Jesus says, has been given unto the Son. All judgment. He's the lawgiver. He's the one who gave Moses the law. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. There's only one lawgiver who's ever able to save people and send them to heaven, and there's only one lawgiver who's able to destroy people in hell. You're not it. I'm not it. I don't determine who gets saved. The reason I can't determine who gets saved, I don't have the power to save anybody. Salvation isn't just some spoken words. It's a transformation of the heart where we've been given the divine seed. None of us have the power to give out the divine seed. So we can't judge who's saved and who's not saved. 
Now, yeah, we're to judge their conduct and we're to judge their character before we put them in positions in the church or before we have, go into strong fellowship with them. But we're not to judge whether or not or, or who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven or who's going to hell and who's not going to hell. Only God who has the power to change the heart has the power to judge others. And you know what? Once God saves us, God begins to sanctify us. And at whose pace does he sanctify us? At my pace? At your pace? At his own pace. He has that right. He's God. So some of us, we get sanctified faster than others. Some of us get sanctified a lot slower than others. Amen. Yeah, amen. I'll say amen to that too. I love what C.S. Lewis says when he talks about judging other people. It's the same thing. Who are you to judge God's new creation? You don't know where that person has come from. That person you think is mean and nasty and unkind, man, if you had known them before they were saved, they were a lot meaner and a lot nastier and a lot more unkind. God's taken them light years from where they used to be, but you don't see that. And then there are other people, there are other people who are sweet and kind and, and loving, but they've always been sweet and kind and loving. You know, there are some people, I, I had an aunt like that. She would, man, she couldn't say anything bad about anybody. She could never say a curse word, never say. Everything that came out of her mouth was nice. I never heard any, anything but nice words out of her. That's the way she was her whole life. Yes, she was saved, but if she hadn't got saved, she still would have been nice and kind and loving. So you can be lost as a goose and be nice and kind as love and loving. So see, we don't, know, we don't have the ability to judge the heart. Only God sees the heart. He's the only one who could judge the heart. And instead, we live in very dangerous times. We're living on a ticking time bomb. And instead of worrying about judging others, we need to worry about ourselves. We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verses 13 and 14. It takes us another step here. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Man, this is what he says. Your life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's all your life is. It's a vapor. It's a vapor. I mean, Friday morning, when I got up, there was this dense fog where I live, and, and you couldn't see 100 yards down the road. That's how dense the fog was. By midday, the sun had come out, and that fog was gone. I mean, that's the way our lives are. I mean, they're nothing more than a vapor. We're here today, and we're gone tomorrow. 
You know, the Bible says we're allotted three score and 10, 70 years. And if you get lucky, you might make it to 80. But that's not getting so lucky because those days are filled with heartache and pain. <laughs> and even if you make it to 80, boy, the years fly. They fly by. I heard a very astute comedian say a while back, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. <laughs> Pretty wise statement, isn't it? <laughs> the older you get, the faster time flies. I mean, I don't even put my Christmas decorations up anymore. I just leave them down in the garage because it, it seems like it comes around once a week. Oh, no, I put a box. Seriously, I've left them down the whole year. Ask Nathan. <laughs> Ask Eli. I had a friend of mine who felt the same way. He just left his up all year long. He didn't cut them on at night. Who are we to say, this is my plan for the future. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to build this house. I'm going to do that. Who are we to say all of that? I'm going to go into business. I'm going to do this in business. I've got these plans. Who are we to say that? I mean, life is nothing more than a vapor. You know, I'll tell you what, I've had no problem understanding what James has said here since I found out that my heart is nothing more than a ticking time bomb. I mean, it could explode at any moment. You know, I always thought I would live at least 20 or so years after my dad passed away. My dad's 94 and he's going strong. And he might, I might beat him to heaven. I don't know what y'all are laughing about. I might beat some of y'all to heaven. You don't know. I mean, you might beat me to heaven is what I meant to say. You know what? I don't want to have to do this. and I hope it doesn't happen. But I might have the privilege of doing your funeral this year. You don't know. We're all sitting on a ticking time bomb. We never know when this might be our last day. None of us know how long we have left on this earth. So what should be our attitude? Look at verse number 15. Instead, you ought to say, if, it, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. If the Lord wills, we've got more time on this earth. If the Lord wills, we should do this or that. Now, some would say that, that what James is saying right here is that any time we make a future about our statement, about, I mean a statement about our future, we should precede that statement with the statement, if the Lord wills. In other words, we shouldn't presume on our future. We should always ask, if the Lord wills, then, then uh, uh, maybe we'll be alive to do this or do that. You know, and that's true, because only the Lord knows how many days we have left on this earth. Only the Lord knows that. If you're a born-again believer, David says in Psalms 139 that our days were written down in the Lord's book before there were any of them. He wrote them down. 
you're not going to live one day longer than the Lord has planned for you to live. You're not going to live one day shorter than the Lord has planned for you to live. But James is saying something else here. Actually, he's saying much more right here. Not only has God written down in his book how many days you have left on this earth, he's also written down in his book his plan for your life. And so, before you do make any plans, before you do make any plans about your future, before you do anything, then the first thing you should ask yourself, is this what the Lord wills? You know, Paul, the apostle, said, I was chosen to be an apostle in my mother's womb. I mean, here was this guy who became the persecutor of the church, but before he became the persecutor of the church, he had already been chosen to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He was chosen in his mother's womb. And so you've been chosen for something. If you're a believer here, God has a plan for your life. He's planned out your future. And before you make any decisions, you should make sure that those decisions, that your plans fit the will that God has for your life. I mean, you've only got so many days left on this earth, and we should make the most of those days spending them on doing the Lord's will. That's what James is saying right here. The Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will for me to do this, then I will do this or that. If the Lord's will for me is to be on this earth a little bit longer, then I want to do the Lord's will, and I want to fulfill his plan for my life. Then he says in verse number 16, but now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Man, when you make plans as if you're going to live forever, you're arrogant. You're boasting in your arrogance. Now, it's not evil to make plans for your future. In fact, it's evil not to make plans for your future. But boastful plans about your future without any regard to God's plan for your life, that is evil. And it's amazing to me how many people do just that. They boast about their future. They make their plans for their future without any regard to God as if they're going to live forever. And if all of the stuff that they're accumulating through their plans is going to be with them forever. Doesn't work like that, does it? It doesn't work like that at all. You remember the parable that Jesus told about the boasting, arrogant farmer? You remember the parable he told? I'll, let me read it to you from Luke chapter 12. He said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger barns, greater barns, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. You're going to be fine for years to come. You're going to, it's as if you're going to live forever. Take your ease now and eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things be which you have stored up? 
you fool. You take no regard for the future. You live as if you're, you're going to live forever. You live totally for yourself without any regard to God's plan for your life. And one day, all of us are going to have to give an account for our souls. We're going to have to give an account for our lives and what we did with our lives that God gave us. And how much stuff we've accumulated in our life is not going to count for anything if we didn't use it for the kingdom of God. What's going to matter is what we did on this earth to serve God and to help others. That's the only thing that's going to matter. What you did with the gospel, that's the only thing that's going to matter. Then he finishes up in verse number 17, and he says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. You know, that is one of those passages that is taken out of context all of the time. I, I think there's truth in that. I think when you know that, that there's good to do and you don't do it, then, then to some degree, in most cases, that is sin. But you've got to be careful with that. I, I, I heard, I've heard evangelists say, people that are really heavy in evangelism say, I mean, you know it's good to save the lost. You know that's a good thing to do. And so if you're ever around a lost person and you don't witness to them, then that is sin. I don't agree with that at all. I believe that the Lord leads you into positions where you witness to people and the Lord touches your heart and gives you the power to witness. And, and, and if you don't do it then, yeah, then that would be sin. But just because it's a good thing to do to witness to the lost doesn't mean that you're sinning when you don't witness to every lost person in the world. So, so you take that out of context, and you can see it's taken out of context because they're missing one big word when they take that out of context. What's that word? Therefore. Therefore, when you see a therefore, what's it doing? It's tying that passage to the previous text. That's what it's doing. So what James is saying here is this, that since your life is a vapor, since you're living on a ticking time bomb, since you live in a very dangerous situation, since time is short, you need to make the best of time doing the will of God instead of wasting your time on yourself. That's what he's saying in context. Now, you really could take that verse and that therefore, and you could apply it, you could apply it to the entire book of James. I mean, since we know what is good, we need to be spending our time doing good. And if we're not doing good, then it is sin. What is good? Well, James told us what is good. That's what this whole book is about. It's about what we should be doing as believers and what we should not be doing as believers. And, 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 and it's kind of a measure of whether or not we're living as God wants us to live. Now, this is a tough book because not many of us are living the way God wants us to live. And so it steps on our toes. But when we know what we're supposed to do, and James told us what we're supposed to do, and we don't do it, then we're sinning. What has he told us we're not supposed to do? Or what has he told us we're supposed to do? He's told us, first of all, that we're not to judge others. And if you're judging others, you're sinning. You, how many of you think it's right to judge others and put others down? 
Raise your hand if you think it's right. Don't raise your hand. No, it's not right. When we do that, we know we're sinning. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you know you're sinning. Because let me tell you what happens. When you talk bad about others, you grieve the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit departs from you. And you're left to yourself, and you know it. If you're a born-again believer and, you're, and, and you, you're full of the Spirit, and then the next day because you've talked bad about those, you're not full of the Spirit, you know that. So what's the good that we're supposed to do? Well, first of all, we recognize that time is short. We recognize that our life is a vapor, and so we don't judge others. What, what is the other thing he told us we need to do? We need to be taming our tongues. We need to be swift to hear and slow to speak. If we're running our mouths, if we're, our mouths are spouting out evil, poison, is that good? No, we know that sin. We need to be humbling ourselves before God and submitting to God so that the devil flees from us instead of living like the devil's children, like most of us do. We need to be doing that. We need to quit being so worldly, James says. We need to be drawing near to God so that he'll draw near to us. And when we see brothers and sisters in need, especially widows and orphans, we need to be helping them. That's doing good. That's doing good that we know is good, and we see that good and we turn our backs on that. That is sin. We need to be counting it all joy when those bombs are exploding all around us, when the bad things are happening in our life. Instead of murmuring and complaining against God, we need to be counting it all joy. We need to be doers of the word instead of hearers of the word. Only. We need to get ask God for wisdom and guidance instead of just going about our lives without any regard for the Lord. And all of those things are good that James shown us here. And if we don't do those things, then we're sinning. We're sinning. And that's why God gives us the book of James. Right after he gives us that wonderful book of Hebrews. All of that takes us up on that mountaintop and tells us about all the things that are available to us in the holiest of holies, when we come into the presence of God, then he brings us down and shows us where we're at and says, this is not where you should be at. And there's something wrong if you're doing all of these things. There's something bad wrong with your Christian life if you're doing all of these things. And you need to get it straight. You need to get it straight. You know, if... I had the authority to add a little bit to the book of James, maybe rewrite it a little bit. I would say, James, you're way too one-sided. I believe he is. James talks about all of these things. I mean, controlling your tongue, easy, right? All of you got it under control? James himself said it's not easy. I mean, a little tongue is like a, like the rudder on a ship. It's like kindling for a fire. Nobody, no man can control their tongue, the Bible says. James, we need some balance here. 
I mean, to not talk bad about others, like I said, try that for a few days. Try it. You want to fast? The Bible speaks of a fast in Isaiah 55 or 58, wherever it's at, 56, somewhere around that area. Speaks of a fast. You know what the fast is? Don't talk bad about anybody. You want, you want a fast that pleases God? Don't talk bad about anybody. I, try it. Try it on your own and see if you can do it. Try it for a week. See how far you get with that. So we get all of these exhortations on things we're supposed to do, but I think we're missing some balance there. And that's why any book that I read in the Bible, I have to balance with the rest of the Bible. James was mad. He was ticked off at where the church was heading. He was ticked off at all these people who were calling themselves Christians, and yet they were gossiping. They were doing, making their own plans without regard to God. They were living their lives for self-centered purposes. And he was mad because that was his brother, his blood brother that hung there on the cross. That was God Almighty that hung there on that cross. And he was mad because it was if people were trampling on the blood of Christ. And so he gives us these tough, tough exhortations. But you've got to balance it with the rest of the Bible. Where do I get the power to control my tongue? Where do I get the power to do the, these, reach these high standards that James lifts up? I get them by drawing near to God. He mentions it. But if I was him, I would have maybe made that about five chapters. The way Paul did. Paul would do five chapters on drawing near to God and one chapter on the exhortations. James is good, though. The book is good because it brings us to that point. And that's what I want you to see before we leave here today, that, that none of these things can be done in your own power. That's why Paul says, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. We're new creatures. The old things have passed away. The, all, behold, all things have become new. We reckon ourselves dead to the old life. Spiritually, you have to put away these things. James is saying, put these things away but I don't think he's saying enough about how we do that. We don't do that in our own strength. We do that by the power of Jesus Christ. But you know what? James is right when he says that we're living in very dangerous times. And he's right when he says that life is short. He's right about the fact we're sitting all sitting on a ticking time bomb that might explode at any second. He's right in the next chapter when he says our judge is standing at the door. Who's our judge? You're not the judge. Jesus is the judge. What's he mean he's standing at the door? Right there, right here, in another dimension, he is right there, standing at the door. And you're going to see him sooner than you probably think. That's what James is saying. You're either going to die or you're going to get raptured. It's coming sooner than you think. And when you do, you want to be doing the will of God and living your life for him when you see him. That's the message of the book of James. It's tough, but we can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you again for your word, and we thank you for, for these exhortations that James gives us. But Lord, we know that we all fall short of your glory. We fall short in these areas that you're rebuking us about through the 
uh, book of James, Lord. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that, that you bring us all into a position where we can do good and not evil. Lord, we know that we can only do that by our choice, but also with your power. So, Lord, if we're just meandering through life without any concern for how it affects your kingdom or how it makes you feel, Lord, then, then Lord, teach us, show us just how short life is and help us all to get serious about this kingdom business. We thank you for the exhortation here. We thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.